Welcome to Stewardology, a podcast where two worlds collide. In this show, financial advisor Tim Russell and Reverend Drew Geisey come together to explore the intersection of financial stewardship and theology. Their unique perspectives help Christians and churches understand and apply a biblical framework for everyday financial decisions so Christians everywhere can improve and strengthen their walk with Christ through biblical stewardship. Before we get started, we just wanted you to know that the topics discussed in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations. Investing and investment strategies involve risk, including the potential loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities and advisory services are offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and CIPIC. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Tim Russell and Drew Geisey. I'm Tim Russell. And I'm Pastor Drew Geisey. And we welcome you to episode 104 of the, the Stewardology Podcast. Podcast. Well, Tim, you are back. We, I am. We, you are back. We are so glad. We miss guys, you. Guys thought I got kicked off the podcast, didn't you? Well, we were we were uh, actually had interviews for additional people to come in. Yeah. But they didn't. <laughs> how, they, how, how were they at Voices? Uh, one, one sounded just like Donald Duck. Mm. Another sounded like Marvin the Martian. And there was a couple other weird ones what, that this, were in there. This podcast is going downhill. It's going downhill real quick. Well, you know what? Today, I want to open up with a story. One day, a certain old rich man of a miserable disposition visited a rabbi who took the rich man by the hand and led him to a window. He said, look out there, he said. The rich man looked out into the street. He said, what do you see? Asked the rabbi. I see men, women, and children answered the rich man. And again, the rabbi took him by the hand and this time led him to a mirror. Now what do you see? Now I see myself, the rich man replied. Then the rabbi said, Behold, in the window there is glass, and in the mirror there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little silver, and no sooner is the silver added then you cease to see others, but you see only yourself. What a great illustration That's that great. is. And it speaks to our stewardship of money and part of our discussion today that when a little silver gets between you and the glass, you stop seeing others. You stop seeing God, which is the beginning of this romance of this one's love of money. Today, we're going to be looking at two sections of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where first we're going to see the top four signs that you may be loving money too much. And second, if you relate to any of those signs, Paul outlines what the cure is. So we're going to dive into this right now. And Tim, why don't you start us off? Why don't you read our passage of scripture? 1 Timothy, the first section, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Ah, this is a great passage. In fact, uh, this 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 passage right here is part of, I think, chapter 5 of the upcoming book, The Good Steward. Wow, a little preview here yes, coming, yes, a little preview. Yes. And, and we'll also be getting a little bit into chapter 6 Ooh. later in today's episode. All right, so this is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 8, 9, and 10. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people 
into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Ooh, what a great passage. And we actually use this in our seminar. We share this as, as one of our messages. But we got to take a quick look at the context here. Yes. The yes. context here. There's false teachers that were teaching that godliness was a means to gain. And what type of gain? It was it great gain. Great gain. And yeah. they were talking financial gain. They wanted they wanted money. Uh, it Status was Status and position, position, money, and everything comes along with it. So that's what they were focusing on. And they were teaching these things because they loved money. They loved money so much that they were using the religious system to manipulate people for their own personal financial mm-hmm. gain. Mm-hmm. So we want to break down what that text just said, because we believe that in that text, there are four signs that you can actually see there that may actually speak to your love for money. So so here's a question. How can you tell if you love money too much? Yeah. And we think that this text provides us at least four clues that we can consider to see whether or not. We love money more than we love God, Yeah, more than we love what he's provided. So let's take a look at those things. Number one is wealth becomes your life's pursuit. The increase of wealth, the acquisition of money yeah. becomes your life's pursuit. Said another way, you desire to be rich. Right out of the text. Notice that... that this is in verse nine. It says, you desire, they desire to be rich. That's what their desire is. They fall into temptation, into a snare, into many harmful and sense, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there is a desire to be rich. The, the desire is not for godliness. Right. So, so what were the false teachers teaching? They said, hey, you want to be rich, then you need to be godly. And if you you do the right things, you behave the right way, then your godliness is a guaranteed way for you to become wealthy and and comfortable and safe and secure. It it's a old version of a current heresy, right? The yeah. whole you know I can manipulate wealth out of God, and that is that that is terrible way of looking at God. That is a terrible way of looking at things. And it it is a sign that you actually don't love God. You love what God can give you. The money. I want the money, the possessions, the status that that God will give me if I do the right things, if I behave the right way. Yeah. Now it could even be not that sanctified, right? You could you could say forget God, forget holiness. I just want the money. So right. so you'll work as hard as you can to gain as much as you can. You'll skirt the rules. You'll hurt people. You'll uh, manipulate and exploit others for your own selfish ends. Yeah, these are signs that you love money too much. Now, the reality is, most people in the audience, most of you listening to us, are probably not saying, "Well, I love money." So much that that is my life's pursuit. Well, okay, but wait, there may be more that we can consider from this text that would be bearing on our thinking. Can can we just for a moment just break down this this word 
desire, their desire to sure, get, sure, sure. get rich. Yeah. I think part of that is that they're never content. They, they're, they're wanting more and more. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. my, my wife uses this word all the time when she thinks of what's happening in our world today and our political systems. She, used, she says the G word, greed. Yeah. That is an all-encompassing factor for a lot of people. And they're, they're looking at their bank accounts or they're focusing on the greed. And there's a drive there's some people that are very laid back in life and many of us know people that are driven in nature. These are people that are driven for that one more dollar and they want to get that bank account growing. So think about people going to college Mm. when they're going to college and they're, they're thinking about career. Most of the time they're not simply focused on the thing that they're passionate and skilled at. Right. They're focused on the job that's going to give them the best bang for their buck, the most money, the most comfort, the most prestige. They're looking for the American dream. Yeah. And and that is that becomes their life's pursuit. Their life's pursuit yeah. becomes the chasing of the dollar to be able to make them comfortable. Of course, oftentimes what ends up happening is that they they're they're carrying out so much debt out of college that their life's pursuit's not necessarily the dollar to become wealthy, but the dollar just to pay back the creditor for all the money they borrowed. And that's, and that's going to be an upcoming episode. Yeah, stay tuned for more. Yes, yes. So I think it's important for us to understand what that desire, what that love of money really is. And that's an all-encompassing passion and uh, just a desire for more and more and more. Yeah. But number two is your desire for more becomes life-controlling. Talk about that for a moment, Tim. Yeah. So you say, how is that different from the first one, right? You said number one is wealth becomes a life pursuit. And now you're saying your desire becomes life controlling. So the point in the first one is that it's not godliness, it's wealth that you want. Right. In, in the second point, what we're saying is that not, not only is it wealth, but that, that desire for wealth now drives all of the other life decisions. Every so one of them. what you do, how you spend your free time, what you pursue, if we could, you know, we, we think about, um, verse nine, when we think about this, this controlling desire and causing all of these negative repercussions, but if we could back up one verse and just consider for a moment, what verse eight says, I think it can be very helpful. It says that, that if you have food and clothing with these things, you and I, we, we should be content. What that is teaching us is the the inverse of that is that the individual who wants more is fundamentally discontented. Oh, absolutely. They are fundamentally breaking the Tenth Commandment. You know what the Tenth Commandment is? You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or ox or ass or anything that is your neighbor's, right? But the person who wants more by very nature is not content with what God has given they're not content with what they have. They want what they see their neighbors have. They want the prestige. They want the status. They want the comfort that all of money and possessions can bring to them. And that drives all of their other decisions. Uh, I wrote down in our notes, right, that, that when we love money too much, we are not content with what we have, with what God has provided. We want more and more. We want bigger and better. We want newer and faster. Think about your car for a minute. 
Are you content with the car that you're driving as you drive around and look at people driving nicer vehicles with newer technology and better features, more comforts, or, or are you discontented with what you have now? For me, I, I find that to be rather com- condemning, perhaps, because I, I am driving around an old car. I, I could afford a much nicer car, but I, right now it's not been my priority. Um, and, and I feel sometimes I feel discontented with what I have. I want newer and faster, shinier and better. That, to me, for my own heart, is, is a thing that I have to continually go back and check myself. Am I content with what God has provided? Are you secretly telling me that you're a car guy? Oh, I'm absolutely not a car guy, but I love a good, comfortable car. And I love, yeah, I, 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 think I love all the technology. I think you're secretly telling me <laughs> you're a car me, guy. Believe me, I am no motorhead. Uh, you're secretly saying that. You know, I, and to tie in with this, this point, verse 9 speaks to it, but those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And we're seeing here that their desire for this, they're loving more, they fall into these snares, these tra- the, the traps, the destruction that just eats away at you. And it just, it becomes a potentially a sinful lifestyle and pattern because you are having the money and you're now using it in ways that you shouldn't. This is, is probably going to be a good segue into our our next point. Yes. But the, the idea here, right. Is that, that what you want is money because what it gives you is power, prestige, comfort, security. But notice what the text says it gives. It provides ruin, destruction, pain, and misery. It promises comfort and security. It provides ruin and destruction. Absolutely. Isn't that ironic that the very thing that we pursue, because we want what it offers, it provides the exact opposite? Yeah. Now, how is that ruin and destruction most clearly evidenced? What a good transition statement. Into number three. Well, I, I like that one. Number three is you are wandering from God. We see that in verse 10. The loving of money drives you away from God. It's, yes. It just totally drives you away from him. Well, the, the parable, right, with Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says you cannot love both God and money. Right. You can't. And if you love money, you love what money can provide you. You're trusting in money to provide you comfort, security, and peace in your life. Right. You're not trusting in God. Mm-hmm. And and when you put your trust in money, you're sliding further and further from God. Yeah. From the anchor of our soul that holds us fast in the storm, now we're trusting in the uncertainty of riches, which we'll get to a little later in our podcast. So, yes— when we love money, it drives us from loving God. Yeah. It causes us to distrust him, to trust only what we can see with our hands, only what we can touch with our, with our hands. It, 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 that's now the controlling element of our life. Yeah, because when things go wrong, your mind doesn't immediately go to God and saying, God, how can you provide and help and take care of me and my family in this situation? You automatically go to your bank account. You go to the thing, what you can do to make things happen because you've been consumed and driven 
with this thing called money and riches. So God has now been factored out of the equation in these times. So you are pulling yourself further and further away from God. And Tim, you said it, Matthew 6, 21, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't, you can't do no, it. It, no does, it doesn't work, and scriptures make that very clear. And to actually have that love for money, that driving desire for money, that is totally opposite than the driving desire for God. God is the one that—we see that seven times in scripture, God provides wealth. We see that. So what is the result that, that, that we see when we love money more than God— when that money drives all of our life decisions and and when that desire for money drives us from a love of God, what do we see? Often we see the fourth point, the fourth sign that you love money too much, that the pursuit of money brings about self-induced pain to you, right? But also to those you love the most. Yeah, very much so. And we say that, that I actually saw this online, and we'll put the, the in in our show notes. It said this: the love of money is a sinful root problem that bears bitter fruit. Absolutely, yes. It's not just problems with your bank account. There may be problems with relationships, family, or friends. Problems that may arise with your health because of the stress of obsessively pursuing wealth. So many problems and complications that happen because you're bringing this upon yourself because of your driven nature, your passion, your love for money, possessions, and things. Yes. Relationships suffer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I met a gentleman years ago, and this gentleman was so driven for that one more dollar, his relationships were suffering all around him with his wife and his kids, etc. But he was all consumed with how can I make money when I'm sleeping? That was his driven nature. So relationships suffer. And then there's also those health issues that happen. These are very prevalent. I, I think today, now more so than any other time in, in history with our medical fields, they're constantly having prescriptions to help people cope. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've heard it said often that we'll spend all of our health and energy to gain wealth and money possessions. Mm, good phrase. And then when we're older, we'll spend all of our money and possessions just to get better health. Yeah. I've, and, I've heard and that. Well-being. Yep. And, and it's the pursuit of it. It's not often easily or even possibly attained. Yeah. Well said. So that's really our top four signs that you potentially are loving money too much. Mm-hmm. But when now we want to transition. Yeah. What I love here in the text is Paul just doesn't drop and run. He now says, hey, this is how you can redirect and not have this pursuit, this love of money, be this all-controlling piece in your life. And let's transition on out of that loving money, and let's look at how do we solve this problem, this heart problem, which is what it is in our lives. So there there are three verses I want to point to that uh, come just after what we just finished. Verse 11 is a great transitional verse. It says, but as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. That's the pursuit of money, the love of money. 
flee these things. Not just flee. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Skipping a few verses, now verse 17 and 18 says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Mm, what good verses. So now we want to change the approach, not for signs that you love money too much, but maybe the cure for the love of money. So let's take a look at the first one. How do we cure this? First of all, the text makes it very clear. Flee or run away from what's destroying you or what's dr- what's driven within you. The biblical sense of this word is to run, to move away from quickly, so as to escape, to sure. get away as quickly as possible. Um, this is a difficult concept for sinners to understand. Um, there, there's this verse that we see in Proverbs 26, 11. It says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And we have this tendency to keep running back and running back to that which is comfortable in our mind, but yet painful to our soul. And But the Bible says that we are to flee, run away from, seek safety, escape from this immediate danger from these things, money. Jesus one day was approached by a young, rich man. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, Master, what must I do to to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, You've heard the commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And and the man thinking that he had it all down, he says, I've done all of this since my youth. What yet do I lack? Jesus, knowing him, knowing how money had, had pursued him, he says, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you can come and follow me. Now, We're going to get into this more in the next episode of the podcast, but do you notice here the the recommendation for this specific man who is struggling with a controlling desire for money, wealth, and possessions was that you should flee money, wealth, and possessions and pursue Christ. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that kind of is probably a good segue into the second point that we see here. So not only are we to flee from what's destroying you, but we are to pursue something. So Drew, what are we supposed to pursue? Yeah, well, pursue here, there's a whole list of things that we need to pursue, but this word pursue in the original language has the understanding to do something with intense effort and with a definite purpose or goal. So that's the the mindset that they had back then. So it's not just casual. It's not, no. You're not just like, I'm going to try, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, it's, it's, this is, I, I liked what I saw. Intense effort. You're putting your all into this, and you have a goal, a purpose, an outcome that you're striving for. And clearly, this pursuing definitely not casual, not lackadaisical. So, what are these things? Well, the first one, and Paul lists these things. First one is righteousness. Yeah, it's the act of doing what God requires in His Word. Yeah. That's what that is. It's pretty clear. 
What's the second one, Tim? Godliness, right? This is one living out the appropriate beliefs and devout practices of the obligations written in the Word of God, right? This is someone who is trying to simply, in their best efforts, in the full conscious effort before God, with a clear conscience, do what God calls them to do, to walk worthy of the calling good. of which they've been called. Good, good. So first was righteousness, second was godliness. This next one is faith. It's believing in the good news about Christ, his redemption, and following his teachings. Uh, the easy ones, and also the challenging teachings, mm-hmm. the teachings that we see there in the Word of God. Why? Because you trust him. Yeah. So we talk about don't trust in horses or chariots or fancy financial advisors or money, right? Trust in God. That's what we're talking about. Faith. Have faith in God. He provides. Yeah. Love. The next one is love. Love is a sincere appreciation, a high regard for someone or something, right? And and specifically, we're we're thinking of this in, in a twofold way, that we both love God deeper and that we are loving towards others. Yeah. Right, so it's 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 loving God and loving others. It's going back to what Jesus told the the uh, rich rich young ruler. He said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." That's the that's the point. Yeah, love God, love others. Steadfastness is the next one. This is the power to withstand the hardships and the stress and the strain of life, especially that inward fortitude necessary to do so. You got to hold steady. You got to hold fast. You got to grip what is true, what is right, especially in those challenging times and especially those challenging things that are pulling you toward the money instead of pulling you toward God. So the final thing he says here is that we are to pursue gentleness, right? And what a great word. We think of gentleness in a negative connotation for men in particular. A gentleman is, well, we say gentleman, right? But a gentleman is it's almost a contradiction in terms. We're thinking about a, you know, a, a wrestling guy with big muscles or, a, you know, the, the, the movie star with the big muscles and machine guns. This is a, what a real man is. They charge in, they take control, they save the damsel in distress, but the Christian character should be gen- characterized by gentleness, which is a mild and even-tempered um, disposition. regard or yeah. disposition towards yeah. others. Right, thinking before you speak, having having a conscientious mind, like not being um, a shock jock. Right, just out Ooh, there saying things like to to elicit, you know, a, some kind of response. One of the things I put in there was yeah. I I think when a when I think of gentleness, which I will say at times it is a challenge for me. Uh, I am not the most gentle of people. I'm a bull in a china shop. My wife keeps on reminding me. I'm not going there. Um, but when it comes to, uh, I, I think about this, and someday I'm going to write a book on this, reaction versus response. A reaction is a quick knee-jerk, knee-jerk yeah. reaction, minimal thinking it's just, this is the way it is. It's kind of like a fly lands on your, ha- your head, you swat it right away. You're not even thinking. It's an innate nature. But a response is calculated. Yeah. It's thought out. And it has a desired outcome. And gentleness is that. Yeah. More often than so, not. So gentleness does not necessarily mean you know, that you're not going to respond appropriately. I think gentleness it implies an appropriate response. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. So... With that in mind, we've put that together. Let's jump down now to verse 17 
And the third yeah. answer. And this is an adjustment of the attitude. Mm, so, this is good. This yeah. Is good. Uh, not uh, to be haughty, not to set their hopes in certainty of riches, but to trust in God. Now, you know, before you know, we, we go too deep here, think about, think about what's happening. We have, on one hand, those who desire to be rich, right, who think godliness is a means of gain, yes. are looking at others as a means of their own personal satisfaction. But Paul says, he flips it on his head, no, you are not to be haughty. So you already have wealth. God may have blessed you or you, you know, for your work and so forth. Now you have wealth and possessions. You're not to think of yourself better than others. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. How do you see that? It says, to trust in God, not in uncertain riches. Yeah. I love that phrase, uncertain riches, because as a financial advisor, especially when the market's down, we see how uncertain riches can be. Mm-hmm. I had $100,000 and now it's uh, $80,000, 20% down. That, that feels uncertain to me. Sure. And I talk to people and they have all of their money in banks and CDs and they feel that that's certain. But then we start talking about FDIC, what happens if the government goes and all of a sudden that certain wealth doesn't feel quite as certain yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's a change of attitude. Yeah. And rather than valuing ourselves as the chief and highest goal, we value God. We we esteem others. We are not haughty towards others. And that's that's demonstrated then by how we respond to others. Yeah. How does a changed attitude look? That that's a critical piece. And it's a it's a total change for this person that's consumed with wealth and money and finances. They have to totally do an about face in their their attitude. Uh, they need to think through think about God and others. They need a major attitude adjustment. But what does that attitude adjustment look like? So the text says they are to do good. Right. Right. That's what that attitude, the change attitude results in, in work. So it's, it's rather than focusing on your good, focus on the good of others to be rich in good works. Think about that. Not yes. to be rich in wealth, possessions, dollars, gold bars, land and, and, and oxen, right? It's to be rich in good works. That's, that's a, a fascinating phrase. That's right out of the text. And notice the next, they are to be generous and ready to share. Yeah. Not hoarding. It's not about me. So we love God, right? Love you, Lord God, with our heart, soul, and mind. That's to put your hope in God, not in the uncertain riches. And then love your neighbor as yourself. To be, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be ready to share, to be generous and ready to share. That is what a different, changed attitude looks like. I just preached on that on Sunday, that ready to share. And I thought that was just fascinating as I did research on that. Basically, it means... At a moment's notice, you're ready to give of what the Lord has blessed you. Yeah, It's not about what the balance is of your checkbook or any other thing. It's at that moment, God is directing you. You're ready to do it. It's, it's You're, you're going to make it happen right then and there. And it's not, well, uh, I got to worry about this and that and all the other things. Yeah, you're going to have some common sense. Stay within your framework of your budget, yeah. especially, so that's important but you're ready to do it. So let's let's go a little deeper in two of the things that we just talked about here in our next two points. So a, a fourth corrective to the love of money is to transfer your trust, right? That's not to hope in your riches, but to trust in God. 
so Drew, talk to us about that. How is that demonstrated? We talk about uncertain riches and stock market dropping. Yeah, but. Well, money is here today and it can be gone tomorrow. And we read in Job chapter one, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we, we need to keep that perspective that's there. Um, money can be can be gone in a heartbeat, uh-huh. but God is ever present. Yeah. We can lose it all by the end of this year. God, we cannot lose. Yeah. And I think that's so important. That's why I think back in when the uh, the stock market had the downturn in the and what was it the twenty nine I think it was the the stock oh, market yeah, crash sure. the the stock market crash back then people were jumping out of windows their trust was in what they had their trust was not in the Lord mm-hmm. and all the all the things that happened there so, so I, I talk to clients all the time and one of the things we talk about is we trust in God not in our wealth and one of the the one of the ways that that manifests itself is that we manage what we have well we, we take risks seriously but we, we're also not trying to bury it under the under a rock right um, and we're going to trust God with results I, we, I don't know the end but I know the God who has designed the end, Amen. who has planned time in history. So I'm going to trust him with the results and he will provide for my needs, whether it's through this portfolio or through some other means, the Lord will provide. And that is what it means to transfer your trust from your riches into Christ. And in that, I want our audience to know that God is a generous provider. Mm-hmm. You don't just have to have one or the other, as you transfer your trust from your riches and your wealth, what you're trying to do, over to God, God is a great and generous provider, so he can be that blessing to you. And through the money that he provides for you, we see in text that it's also for our enjoyment. Mm. He is Mm. pro-enjoyment, wants us to actually have some fun. So he's not a cosmic killjoy. Trying that's, to that's shut great. down yes. everything. He's he's saying, transfer the trust. Let let your hope and trust be in me, your living God, not what you can acquire. And that's how the peace that passes all understanding happens. Amen. When when all life becomes unsettled. And and the, the thing that most people have their hopes set on, their health, their wealth, their family, their possessions, they all go away. We can have peace in the midst of the storm because our hope is not in uncertain riches, but it's in God. Amen. Amen. And our fifth one is what, Tim? So it's to be generous, right? So if if we talk about the, we have changed attitude, one of the ways that attitude is demonstrated is how we think about our stuff. Our stuff is ultimately not about us. Yeah. We are generous towards others. We're ready to share what yeah. we have. So being generous with our money and our resources is a game changer. It, it changes one from hoarding, right? Just just getting it all about me, tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Yeah. To being generous, to having an open it. heart, to yeah, releasing what I have for for the needs of others. We see this most clearly demonstrated in the early days of the church, yes. where the church sold what they had, they kept it in common, gave it to whomever they need. This is not promoting or or advancing some form of communism. Correct. It is a simply a demonstration of the way the gospel worked at that specific time in history where individuals realized it wasn't about them and that if we're going to survive as a community, we have to make sacrifices for for each other. Now, 
that's not to say that we shouldn't, you know, disregard all of those. We should disregard what 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 we see in, in Acts, and that doesn't apply to us today. There are lots of ways in which that is a great model and example for how we should think about our things. Our things are not about us. It's not about how we can insulate ourselves from danger and destruction, but how we can enter into the life of others. Yeah into the community of Christ and share in one another's difficulties and share in one another's successes. That is a great model of Christian generosity. When a person goes from, I'll say, hoarding to releasing, that generosity, that giving away, it changes the heart and mind of the individual. When they see the impact of being able to help somebody, help a a church, help a nonprofit, help a neighbor. It changes something within the heart and mind of the person that's giving. And I think that that's a very key part to have. And I'll be honest, that that's been a challenge of mine in my early years. And as I'm getting older, I have a greater desire to release and give. Why? Because of that impact that it can make in the lives of others Specifically for me, it's because of the gospel that I will give and give and give when I see that hearts, minds, lives are being changed and transformed with the gospel. That's an important piece. Yeah. yeah. So let's wrap this up. Let's take a look, a little bit of an evaluation here. Of the four things that Paul lists here about the desire to be rich, getting hooked into these new temptations, wandering away from the faith, and and possibly the pain that you're dealing with, that you personally are dealing with, or your family members are dealing with, that's all self-induced. You know, we have all these things. Is there one or more of those things that we talked about earlier that describe you, that it's got you thinking maybe I'm totally into it or maybe I'm leaning into that area. If that's the case, verses 9 and 10 here of the text give you a course correction. And it'll help you transfer from be, from having that love of money towards loving God and seeing money as you're stewarding it and as a tool for his resources and his generosity through you. As we wrap up here, we have to also remember what the prescription is for for those of us who have that draw, have that tendency yeah. to, to to love money. It's a, it's to to have a changed mindset, yeah. to trust in God, to to be generous and ready to serve others, to transfer your trust from your stuff to the Creator of the stuff. Amen. So let's keep our heart. Let's keep our minds stayed on Christ, not in our wealth. And no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens to our health, no matter what happens to our job, we can have the peace that passes understanding because we know the God who created all things, who knows the end from the beginning, and we can trust him knowing that he will provide, whether it's through all that we've planned or through some other means, the Lord will provide. Amen. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stewardology Podcast. And don't forget, 
We love your questions, your comments, and your thoughts. How do you reach out to us? Go to stewardologypodcast.com forward slash idea. We would love to be able to hear from you and take advantage of our free personal stewardship reviews, as some of you have been doing, and we so appreciate that. That is your next step to becoming an even better steward. How do you do that? Again, go to stewardologypodcast.com forward slash review and We love reviews from our listening audience, and that helps us. When you leave a review on whatever catcher, podcast catcher that you listen to, it helps us break through the algorithms and allows other people to catch up and hear and know about what we are. Tim, I was just on doing a stewardship review with a gentleman out and his wife out in Colorado, and they had break through the algorithms and it popped up stewardology podcast and he's been listening to it for for months on end right now and decided to take us up on that that stewardship review and had a great time with them so i just want to say it works and if you can help us out by leaving a review that would be wonderful also visit our website at stewardologypodcast.com And we have some helpful financial resources and even more episodes for you to listen to. All right. Until next time, take care. God bless. And don't forget to love God and not money. Thank you for joining us on the Stewardology Podcast, where financial stewardship and theology meet. We'd like to help you take your next steps in biblical financial stewardship. First, subscribe in your podcast provider to get the newest episode delivered to you every week. Next, follow us on social media and visit our website at stewardologypodcast.com. There you can find our social media links and our entire episode archive. Remember, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See you next week on the Stewardology Podcast. Securities and advisory services offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and SIPC.